At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear new stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to speak with Ivan Coyote, based in Whitehorse, Yukon. Ivan is a writer and storyteller born and raised in Whitehorse. They're the author of 13 books and the creator of four films, six stage shows, and three albums that combine storytelling and music. Coyote's books have won the Relit Award, they've been named a Stonewall Honor Book, been long-listed for Canada Reads, and they've been shortlisted for the Hillary Weston Prize for Nonfiction and the Governor General's Award for Nonfiction twice. It's amazing. They've toured public schools solo around the world for 19 years, using the power of personal story to fight bullying and make schools safer for students, staff, and parents. In 2022, Ivan will mark 28 years on the road as an international touring storyteller and musician. In 2017, Ivan received an honorary Doctor of Laws from Simon Fraser University. Cody's stories grapple with the complex and intensely personal topics of gender identity, family, class, and queer liberation, but always with a generous heart and a quick wit. Ivan's stories manage to handle both the hilarious and the historical with reverence and compassion, and they remind us of our own fallible and perfect humanity, while at the same time inspiring us to change the world. Ivan's 13th book, Care Of, was released in June 2021 by McClellan and Stewart. Ivan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. I'm one of those people who believes that uh, great artists, well, certainly successful ones, are, are tremendous entrepreneurs. So we're delighted here to talk about your art and maybe even pick up a few business tips as we go along. Uh, so I'm wondering, just because our entrepreneurs are always impatient to get to the, the really good hacks, what's the top piece of advice that you hope entrepreneurs will take away from our conversation today? Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, hmm. So I think in retrospect, looking back, when I first started out, you know, I, I DIY'd everything, you know, po I did my own posters and I, and I, I think, I think if I, like from an entrepreneurial, uh, viewpoint, I would say, don't be afraid to, uh, shop out some of the stuff to professionals. Um, you know, you don't have to be doing the back end on your own website and, and learning, you know, uh, uh, layout and design software, unless that's really your thing, you know, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's, sometimes it's good to keep your eye on the prize of what, what you're, what you're good at and, and, and let people who are professionals at other things, it's that would help support you in your goals, um, give them a place to shine and do what they're good at. Right. I think right. Overall, you'll be a more, 
you'll be a more pro looking uh um unit you know that's right. that said i need to update my website right now i gotta <laughs> you know so <laughs> i'm also you know i need to take my own advice <clears throat> <laughs> that's often the case in the entrepreneurship world so i appreciate yeah. your candor on that keep your eye on the prize is great advice and and your work has turned into quite a lot of prizes. So uh, that's pretty exciting. Tell us about your work, your storytelling and your performances. They've taken you around Canada and around the world. What, how did it all begin? What did the early days look like for you? Very, very early days. I was actually doing like a bit of folk singing, um, like, you know, uh, mostly covers, some of my own originals. And I started doing like little coffee houses and, open mics and stuff like that. And then somewhere along the line, I, I started to really realize that I liked the storytelling aspect. And when I was watching other performances, I really connected with the, with the, with the artists who had good banter. And I saw, and I, and I was always write, writing these little short stories. And so I started, I started off doing, doing that, like, um, and again, cabarets, open mic nights, um, you know, and then uh, every, every good gig leads to another two or three uh, gigs. Right. So, and I, I took them all back then. Right. You, you, you have a very unique voice now in terms of the, 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 the stories you're telling, how would you say that, and yet you started, you know, as you say, as a folk singer covering a lot of other people's songs. So how would you describe you know, your voice, your messaging now, and how has that evolved over the, these 20 or whatever years? How would I describe my voice? Well, I'm a storyteller primarily. I, I think that's the, the kind of root um, of all my work. So I, I like, I'm working on a novel right now. Um, uh, I'm, I'm working on a, a new uh, one-person show. Um, I just started a job job. At UConn University, I'm a specialist, comma, um, in a, um, inclusion and creative expression. So I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing a bunch of programming um, on campus for students to to promote uh, creativity and creative expression on campus with an with a with a larger eye to inclusion and making the campus um, safer and more welcoming to everybody. That's amazing. Um, that sounds like a job they made for you. Is that it literally is a job they made for me. I mean, what a, <laughs> what a beautiful thing to recognize the importance of your messaging and, you know, in your hometown, in your region, and to create that space for you. Yeah, it's, um, it's day, day 23. Um, so it's pretty new. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I think that story drives everything that I do, if I had to boil it down to my voice. And I mean, I... I talk about, you know, of course I talk about my perspective as a trans person. Of course I talk about my perspective as a kind of a kid from a blue collar family. I'm very, my work is often rooted in the North, even though for many, many years I lived in Vancouver and for many, many years I lived, I lived out of a suitcase um, touring. Um, I'm still very grounded in the North and, uh, and in my, uh, connected to my family. So those things of course, make their way into my stories. Um, and I've, you know, I've, I've done albums that combine storytelling with music and stage shows that combine storytelling with visuals and music and photo montage and music, but at the heart of it always still, it comes back down to, uh, to, 
to to story. I'm pro- predominantly a storyteller, and that's kind of my that's my most uh, often reached for tool when it comes to everything: teaching, uh, performing, creating, um, making space for other people. It's always via the power of of narrative. Can I ask how you keep it fresh? I mean, a lot of people. Uh there's authors I've read who they really only have one story in them and they tell the same one over and over again. How do you keep it fresh? How do I keep it fresh? How do you inhabit the, you know, diverse personalities and people? I've and never, voices? You know, I've never been a person who's like, Oh, what am I going to write about? It's I have more, I've always had more ideas than I have time or space to grapple with. So, um, you know, knock on wood, knock on wood, knock on wood. But, uh, like I, I think it's just a matter of, of noticing the world around you. Um, you know, uh, there it's, there's a story under every experience in your day, you know, if you're listening and if you are open to stories and I must have that kind of face because people will, people will sit next to me on a plane and just start talking and, I mean, you got to ask good questions, I guess, too. Um, but how do I keep it fresh? I mean, uh, 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 the, you can tell the same story over again to to in a different way, too. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that um, even telling the same story. Like you could tell one version of a story that would take 60 seconds. You could tell a 60-minute version of that same story, and it would be a different story, but it would be the same story. Right. I, I'm not sure if I'm making any sense, but. Right. But it sounds like, it, I mean, you're also out there listening. You're engaging with people, as you say, asking good questions, tell me more, <laughs> that sort of thing. So, 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 so you're, you're, whether you're conscious of it or not, it sounds like you're actively on, on the lookout for stories. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and you got to be a noticer, you know, Yeah. and you have to, you have to, you have to not be afraid to interact with people and, and, um, and, and stop and listen to them, you know, and then you gotta, you gotta remember stuff too. And, um, which means a certain kind of listening, not just, not just sitting there listening, waiting for your turn to talk, but actually actively listening and having what they're telling you, you know, make its way into your data collector somehow. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you do that? Do you like, as soon as you get off the plane, do you rush and write down some notes about a conversation or something? Oh, sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes somebody will say something and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll memorize it right away or I'll make a note right away or I'll, I'll send a little text to myself on my phone right away. If they, if they put something in a particularly poignant way, or there's just something about the interaction that I really feel, you know, um, and, and, you know, if you, if you've been in the business of storytelling for long enough, so sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be able to sort of, um, I'll be able to sort of disassociate myself out of the situation and, and, and be, and turn into the, the, the person who's recording it. You know what I mean? Um, not disassociate cause you still have to be present, but it's hard to describe. Sometimes I know there's a story happening when I'm witnessing it. Yeah. Um, okay. Sometimes I don't know right away. It, it, later on I'll look back and I'll go, actually, this is, you know, I learned something from that or, or, or this happened, or it led to something else and it becomes part of the story and it wasn't so apparent at first, but sometimes you're in the midst of something and you're like, this is hell? 
right now, but man, this is going to be a good story. You know, like, um, yeah, I was driving up to the Yukon, uh, to do elder care for my dad in the spring of 2001. And I stopped at the Liard hot springs. I'd driven from London, Ontario by myself in this, in the lockdowns, uh, the Yukon was still under a quarantine. And um, I stopped at Liard Hot Springs, um, which is one of my favorite places in northern, northern BC. It's beautiful, be- was a beautiful hot springs. And they had, much to my chagrin, discovered that they had, they had built a giant, like, almost prison-like chain link, barbed wire, electrified fence around the whole park. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I have the dubious honor of being the first person that was accidentally ever zapped by that electric <laughs> because they turned it on while I got up at, at the crack of dawn and went, I think I was in the pool by about five thirty or six o'clock in the morning. And I came back and they had turned the fence on at like eight o'clock in the morning, but they hadn't put the sign on the inside on the other side of the fence. Right. Right. So coming back into the campground, I wet hands, I touched the electric fence and I got like 14,000 volts right across bo- both arms. And, uh, and, um, and then there was the ensuing chaos cause they hadn't put the, the, the sign up and, um, you know, and wow. I was like, you know, you're, they were about to open the, 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 uh, borders again to the Americans. And I was like, <laughs> so <laughs> Americans can be a litigious people. You know, and so how could this possibly go wrong? Put an electric fence at the end of a boardwalk that's going to be populated by toddlers, damp toddlers in a couple of weeks, like (laughs) with wet towels and wet feet. Like, how could this possibly go wrong? Anyway, while this whole chaos was ensuing the whole time, I'm like, this is going to be an amazing story. <laughs> Even though I was really mad and I couldn't feel my left arm, and my three f- last fingers on my right hand were numb, and yeah, the guy who built the fence, the electrician who had just turned it on, he said he learned how to build electric fences in South Africa, keeping elephants on. And he oh my believe, gosh! <laughs> I know he couldn't believe I was still standing. <laughs> In in the movies, it always picks you up and throws you like forty feet away, but maybe wasn't quite high enough. No, it left me just standing there, really pissed off. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, stuff like that. Like you just know at the time, you're like, this is this sucks right now, but like, pay attention. <laughs> what do you think makes a great story? I mean, entrepreneurs are they're in the story business as well. They have to find the right ways to talk about their product or service and how they came up with it and why it works better than everyone else. And basically that follows the general rule of being able to tell a a good story that has a little bit of conflict and maybe some values and maybe a a nice resolution and a success story at the end. Um, What do you think makes a good solid story? Well, for me, it's, it's also about, it's not just the story itself. It's the context that the story's being told in uh-huh. and the timing. So like when I go into a gig, if I'm doing my own thing, I have my set list. I know what I want to, I know where I want to start. I know where I want to end. I always have two or three more in my back pocket 
to switch it up because you don't know what's going to happen that day. You don't, you don't, you don't always know exactly who your audience is going to be. You know, if I'm part of a set of like four writers or 10 writers or three writers, you don't always know what the other people are going to say. So you got to always be flexible because it's partly the, the best stories, in my opinion, is the perfect story told at the right time to the right people in the right way. So, so there is no like template. That's the beauty of stories. There is no template for the, for a perfect Mm. story. There's no, you know, I mean, I know the TV people think that there is there, it's going to be 22 minutes long for a half hour, you know, comedy series. And it's got to have, you have to have a laugh and a hook by the page three of the script. And, you know, that's formulaic and we know, and we, we're comfortable in that formula, but, um, and we, we sort of expect it. And, uh, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best storytelling, right? Um, to me, uh, a good story is one that reaches in to the listener or the reader and rattle somehow rattles their own ghost. You have to figure out a way. I think we all have our own stories. We carry them around in our chests. Sometimes I imagine them that they're literally like little ghosts and they're kind of hanging inside our rib cage. And so, so this, a good storyteller is going to reach in and is going to rattle one of those ghosts in some way, either with humor or because it's poignant or, um, yeah, you know, like as we're watching all these images coming out of Gaza right now, for instance, I think that some of the people who are most rattled by that are the, they see these images of children and they either think of themselves, they imagine themselves as children having to go through that, or they imagine their own children or they imagine their grandchildren. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they're empathizing with something inside of them, something that they care about inside of them that is touched or, or shaken or, or, electrified somehow by that story. I don't know if that makes any sense, Rick, but. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's, that's wonderful stuff. We're going to ask you to do a reading from your, 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 your new stage show in a few minutes, but um, just before we get there, um, you're going into a lot of schools uh, across Canada and you're meeting with students and you're meeting with uh, the, the, the teachers and the leaders and possibly the parents. Um, what do you see as the climate in schools today, particularly around, you know, biphobia, transphobia, and all those related issues? Uh, do you see kids being safe in schools? And do you see the schools uh, doing a good job trying to reflect the, the diversity and complexity of society today? Well, <clears throat> I have to qualify that by, I used to go into a lot of schools. So up until the pandemic, from when I first started for about 19 years in that space, I think I spoke to about 750,000 uh, high school and middle school students. I had an wow. anti-bullying show. And then later on, <clears throat> it kind of morphed into more of a, a trans and queer 101, like representational, uh, in offering kids a chance to ask some questions and see themselves, some of them see themselves reflected a little bit in their schools, again, from an anti-bullying perspective, then the pandemic hit. And, you know, that I, I still, I still do and did some, um, uh, some online stuff, but, um, 
for a number of reasons. I, I took a job in Ontario and then I've started this job at Yukon U and, um, and I'm 50, almost 55. And, uh, so I haven't been going into a lot of schools to talk to the kids. So I don't have really, really relevant, timely data, but as a human, I can, and, and from some of the, um, letters I've been getting and, and, uh, you know, I get a lot of mail, um, some of the messages and, and, um, people who are reaching out, parents, teachers, and students, um, you know, the, the climate has been really, really difficult and it's, it's increasing, it's growing increasingly more difficult. And, you know, if you can imagine being a trans kid in grade nine and having like people protest outside your school, um, and the messaging to the kids who are already sort of prone to bullying that kid, if they're getting if they're getting souped up at home and pumped up at home, that that bigotry is somehow protecting the children um, and then sending them off to school with those kids who already might be struggling. I mean, I would say that at best, we're only ever trying to make school safer. I don't, I, I don't believe in this magical safe space because it's all, all public places are full of humans, right? So we're always only working to make things safer as opposed to safe. And I can only imagine, and from what I've been hearing, that, you know, things are getting harder. Yeah. Um, things are getting harder. Uh, um, and uh, and for me, as, a, as a someone who's been doing that work in schools and seeing the benefits of that work in schools, um, f- you know, for 19 years, uh, like literally not just in Canada, but I've, I've performed in fo- on five continents uh, in, in public in public and private um, schools and uh, middle schools and high schools and even some of my elementary schools here and there. And, um, and it feels, it feels hard to feel like we're going backwards instead of forwards. I feel but, the same way. Yeah. 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 Do you want to get back into the schools? I mean, COVID is mostly over. Although it'll probably never be gone. <clears throat> um, are you aching um, to get back or have you got, you know, you've got a different type of work to do now. Well, I'm, I'm working to make this institution that I'm working at say, uh, more welcoming and safer. Um, uh, and, and, uh, I, I would like to see some younger artists and they, and they, it's not like it's not happening, but more younger artists doing that work in school, because I think, I think that there's, um, that they'll be more likely to be able to really connect you know, a 25 year old or a 30 year old artist, as opposed to like, I'm literally, I'm 50, I'll be 55 this year. I might be, I might be older than some of their grandparents. Right. And, um, and, uh, I was, I, that work is very, very, um, it takes an emotional toll and it did before the climate started to sort of turn to the nasty, you know, it's, uh, you're up early, you're by yourself, you're in, you're, you're in a gymnasium. Like there's nothing less artistic feeling than in a gymnasium. <laughs> you have 800 kids and only 200 of them want to actually even be there. And, and uh, you know, s- some of them actively, you know, they d- just getting them to take their hats. The principals always want them to take their hats off. I'm like, I don't care if they're wearing hats. I'd rather they take their earbuds out. That would be good, right? <laughs> 
you know, and, and so, you know, I would do school shows all week and, um, <clears throat> and then do a theater show for like adults who were really into it, who'd paid money, who couldn't wait to hear what I had to say. So am I dying to get back into schools? No. Is it important work? And will it still be a part of the work that I feel compelled to do? Yes. But, but I, um, I don't think I do any of us a sir, uh, any kind of a service by, by minimizing the kind of emotional toll that work can take, you know, and this, I want to say, if there's any teachers listening to any of this, like your job, your job is hard. It's, it's, it's hard. And I'm glad you get the summers off. You deserve the summers off and you don't even get them off because you're doing lots of prep and all that kind of, and I just, I see the work that teachers are doing and um, I just want us to honor them and support them right now because they're really struggling too, uh, because they're, they're trying to, they're trying to do what a public school teacher is been tasked with doing, which is teach all the kids, not some of the kids, not the, not, you know, public means for all the people by all the people. It doesn't mean for some of the kids and it doesn't mean for the kids that you think deserve a public education, you know? And so if you want to not make school manageable for all of the kids, then you're not a public school and then you shouldn't get public funding. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I think. (laughs) Yeah, We don't have to scratch too deep to find out how much you care. And I really appreciate that. And hopefully the next uh, generation of writers and poets and folk singers are going to step up to this challenge and, and bring their messages forward and get their time in the gym. <laughs> Sometimes you get those, the, the, a theater here and there you get a theater, but right. lots of times you get right. a gym. <laughs> yeah. Now, can I ask you to give us a, a sample of your work? Uh, I think you've got something there that uh, you're preparing for your new show. That's opening in Vancouver. Yeah. So my new show. So I got, I got um, uh, commissioned by uh, intrepid theater company in Victoria to write a new show. And I went out in September to Victoria and, um, we, we had rented the theater and I had some ideas. We were going to go in and play around and see what, you know, was going to take shape. And, um, uh, we had the union tech there and the, 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 it was, a I think, a Wednesday morning or Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning, I can't remember. It was September 20th. I know that for sure because we're having coffee and donuts. It's a queer theater company and we're having coffee and donuts and introducing each other. We're about to go into the theater to start to work on this brand new show. And September 20th was the, the day of that first million person march. So, and the theater happened to be on the path down to the legislature where all those protesters were going by with their F Trudeau signs and, you know, um, uh, like their, you know, trans flag with the red circle around it with the X through it. And so we're, we're trying to get up to write this new show and literally, literally these guys are walking by They're They're like goose stepping. Some of them passed right past this theater on their way down to protest. And, and I was just like, Oh man, should we, should we table it for today and go down and join the counter protest? Is that what, and the artistic director, he was like, no, 
no, absolutely not. He's like, Coyote, you know, you've done your work in school. It's like, (laughs) you don't have to be in the trenches for every single battle, for every war. He's like, get your ass in that theater and write us something joyful. Write us something, write, write us some trans celebration. Write us, you know, and I had been thinking about this idea of, um, you know, when you, when you do what these people want to do, which is take every single representation away from queer and trans kids and students in their lives, in their school, in, in, you know, in, 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 if, if you, cause I grew up like that. I grew up in the seventies in the Yukon in a Catholic family. So I grew up with no representation of myself. So if you, if, if that's what you, where you place a kid is, is, is in in a world that contains no no future possibilities of themselves around them. They will just invent them. They will just invent themselves in as the heroes of whatever songs they do have. They're just gonna. They're just gonna round off. No matter how hard they have to round off those square edges to get them that peg to fit into. That that's what's gonna happen. The, the, you know. So anyway the show's called playlists and I'm just going to read you one little chunk of it. And it's all these songs that I managed to find, uh, managed to find myself in quite accidentally, I think so. Or kind of, well, I'll just read it. So my grade five teacher was a short red bearded bilingual guy named Roger Rondo. And he remains a puzzle to me to this day. I still have complicated feelings about him. He was a bully in some ways, prone to vocal bursts of rage, complete with flying spittle and broken wooden yardsticks, but he also read to us every single day, no matter what, sometimes for nearly an hour, and very cool books too, like Animal Farm and the Chrysalids and Chrysalids and Charlotte's Web. He was smart and he was a really good storyteller, and I think I mostly liked him, you know, when I wasn't afraid of him. He once farted unabashedly right in front of the blackboard and excused himself without even blinking in the midst of explaining a very complicated times table to us. And we were all both duly scandalized yet impressed. And I don't remember if it was his idea or ours, but right before Christmas break, our class staged a memorable lip synced rendition of Grease the Musical in our school gymnasium. And I remember the sinking, deflated feeling in my chest in the early days when we were casting for the main characters. I knew that I was not pretty enough to be Sandy or cool enough or popular enough to play Rizzo. I don't remember now who got, weirdly, who got to play Danny, but I I wouldn't have even dared to dream. So just when I was resigning myself to the impending tyranny of being forced into a poodle skirt and playing a next to next to next to best friend at Sandy's sleepover or whatever, an actual miracle happened. We didn't have enough boys to play greasers. So there would be enough couples for the big dance number, you know, at the end. So could I, I mean, would I pitch in and help out the class and, and, and be a greaser? I could also be the MC, Roger Rondo explained. I could tell jokes, you know, while the main important cast were changing costumes and getting into their places for the next big number. And I remember playing down how stoked I was to be donning a white t-shirt and a black satin jacket and rolled up blue jeans and sneakers as my outfit. 
I had to pretend at least a little bit that I was slicking back my hair with a plastic comb and shoving it into my back pocket as a sacrifice for art so that the show might go on so that every member of the class had a proper, at least apparently, opposite sex dance partner for our big finale. Our whole class threw themselves into production for weeks before our big show. We made fake cigarettes from pencil stubs wrapped in Xerox paper with glowing <laughs> red cherries and butts colored in with felt-tipped markers. We finessed our dance moves. And as I recall, the entire play went off without a hitch and the audience was thrown to its feet several times during our production. I had spent days writing and practicing and memorizing my jokes. I taught myself to fake trip on my own feet for comedic relief and I took multiple random deep bows at every opportunity. I mean, Danny and Sandy, they might have been like the main characters, <laughs> but the entire performance frankly triumphed due to my skillful MC work. I mean... That's how I remember it. But looking back, oh, 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 I have questions. The first question being, did no one actually listen to any of the lyrics we spent months memorizing? I mean, I know for sure we, we staged a version of Greased Lightning. I remember us hand-painting the flames on the side of the cardboard cutout of the hot rod in question. I remember the boys all changing into coveralls for their big dance number. I mean, really, why were we allowed to sing, you know, that ain't no shit, we'll be getting lots of tit in Greased Lightning. You know that I ain't bragging, she's a real pussy wagon. You are supreme, the chicks are going to cream for greased lightning while wheeling around on stage in our elementary school gymnasium sporting very realistic looking fake cigarettes in 1979 in the Yukon. <laughs> oh, I just got off the phone with my mother to see if I could possibly have remembered this all correctly. Well, I guess we... I... I guess we paid more attention, you know, to the dance routines than we than we did the words. She offered, sounding unsure still to this day how any of this had happened. Whose idea was it to let me cross-dress, I asked her. Oh, we didn't call it that back then, sweetheart. <laughs> she paused, reflecting. Yeah, we just thought it was a costume. the end wow wow that's fantastic that's so so interesting uh you tell a great story obviously and yeah i want to you you had me right back there in the auditorium with these kids with their fake cigarettes pretending to be so sophisticated probably most of them didn't understand the lyrics probably most of but i get you know you get my point right it's like <laughs> it's like um you know, kids are inundated with with heterosexuality. It's it's enforced. It's they're 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 provided very few very few options. And um, so if if being if being constantly uh, exposed to heterosexuality could make me not who I am, it, it would have happened, right? <laughs> would have happened a long time ago you know so so um yeah and, but like uh, like many others you found your place in the theater i <laughs> on found the my stage. place in the theater 
yes, in front of everybody. <laughs> we need yeah. to be who you are. That's a wonderful story. Yeah. Thank Too bad you we so don't much. have time for Freaker's Ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll invite everyone to, uh, to, to, to come to Victoria uh, in, in February 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. It's called Playlist. It's going to be fun. <laughs> All right. Perfect. We've been talking with Ivan Coyote, award-winning author, filmmaker, speaker, and a heck of a storyteller. Uh, Ivan, thank you so much for, for sharing your stories with us and uh, telling us just a, a, a little bit about the way you see life and where things are going. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence. <laughs>